Oh, he's he's in uh, get David Walker in the house, everybody. What's up, man? You got me. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. Yep. All right, perfect. Are we are we ready to roll? I believe uh, we are ready to roll. We had an entire pre-show without you, David. It was, it was all boring hornet stock, though. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Not here for that noise. But by the by the way, David, have you finished Punisher yet? No, man. I'm so far behind on the Marvel uh, universe and Netflix. I haven't even gotten through Daredevil yet. And I will happily take that label. I will happily take that label, Doug. <laughs> let me put it this. Let me put it this way. I actually. Su- Everyone's talking about how bad it was. I actually enjoyed it a lot. I just Tom finished Punisher. It. Yeah, Punisher. I heard uh, whatever uh, Golden Fist was was not that great. No, Iron Fist is horrible. Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. How was Iron Golden Fist? Fist is, <laughs> Iron Fist is horrible. Um, yeah. Defenders was wasn't that bad. Was was okay in the non Iron Fist parts. Um, Punisher actually enjoyed surprisingly. So yeah, you'll be fine just to hop in. 13 episodes you'll breeze through it do not watch it with any of the kids around obviously i'm yeah. warning yeah punisher is brutal in terms of violence but it's i actually surprisingly enjoyed it this conversation is violent to me oh. not what, i can't I don't, it's just what too, tv it's, show can we talk about too many, that, that, that'll work that's that, too many superheroes work. there's too many gray's anatomy gray's anatomy oh i'm sorry we have i want to talk talked? about i want to talk about the steve kerr show steve kerr has turned into like a 90s comedian with these routine, that's not necessarily a good thing doug with have, these have you paid attention to the news <laughs> with these routines that he's doing with the media like he he started from the podium uh, the media basically giving the update on the roster and waiting for the media to tweet while he clipped his fingernails and then i don't know if you heard yeah. this one oh the lavar ball and donald trump would be would be helpful if we reported less on both yeah i saw that no that was that was interesting always good there but no he was giving an update on the roster again that omri caspi is is going to start and he brings out a slinky to play with while everyone tweets (laughs) but he's got like a he's got like a routine now and he's a prop cop listen man Hey, listen. Oh, they, he can. He's just seeing how far he can go. He's got. The, he he could literally he could go do as far just as anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You are locked on Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, and fantasy sports. Welcome in on a Monday morning, uh, Thanksgiving week. Fun times here on the show. We've got a Thanksgiving special coming up on Wednesday that you'll definitely want to check out. I'm Doug Branson, joined by my good friends, uh, first from the mean streets of Cotswold, David Walker. I can't wait for Thanksgiving, Doug. It is the best. You just stuff your face all day. I like to do a run in the morning, though, just to just to let you guys know. Oh, oh of course, you like it, like to do a run. <laughs> <laughs> and you just heard uh, from uh, from Uprocks. From well, you're writing for everyone now. This is uh, this is amazing, Nada. We see you everywhere now, Nada Edwards. 
Oh, man. Uh, again, I got to ask before we get into all this lovely Hornets talk. What's your favorite Thanksgiving side dish? Oh, Macaroni man. Cheese, man. This is a preview. This is a preview of the Thanksgiving special on Wednesday. Mine is uh, my for the probably 12th straight year now. The champion is the sweet potato casserole. Sweet potato casserole. It's, now, a, it, it's so flexible. I, I, you're, hold on. I, I don't want to get too deep into this because I don't want to ruin our <laughs> Thanksgiving special. It's just it's only Monday. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, because you get family, you get food, and you, there's not the pressure of gifts. You get everything that you get at Christmas, but you don't have the pressure of gift giving and gift receiving. Gift also re- true. Gift receiving is almost as nerve-wracking for me as gift giving. Because I don't know how to react to to getting a gift. I, I'm certainly gracious, but I'm just like, did I did I react the way the person wanted me to react? You know. Mm, yeah, I I just got one more side question. How toasted do you like those marshmallows on that sweet potato <laughs> casserole? Well, it's such a flexible dish. You could go marshmallows if you want, or you you don't have to. There's so many different ways. But I'm saying, if you're gonna put marshmallows in, you got to go all the way. You got to toast those things. Uh, okay. To, to a to not a not a golden brown. I want it just a little on the dark side. Okay. So basically, you better be really handy with that blowtorch. That's right. That's right. You got to okay. be yes. You got to be very careful with that thing because again, just a, just a half second. It's like the broiler on your oven. Just a half second too long, and suddenly you've got uh, nasty sugar in your in your. Exactly. You have burnt sugar in your sweet potato casserole, and, and then you just ruin the entire dish. So again, thank you. you're welcome, America, because we just helped you with your sweet potato casserole. It is Thanksgiving week here on the show. We have our annual Thanksgiving special coming up for you on Wednesday. That was a great preview. Thank you, Nada. A few programming notes. We're going to be live on YouTube tomorrow at our normal time. Our Thanksgiving special pod will be in your podcast feed on Wednesday. There's no show on Thursday. Happy Thanksgiving. Take a day. Don't think about the Hornets. Friday, we're going to have a podcast for you in the morning, recapping the Wizards game and previewing the game that they'll have against the Cavaliers on Friday. Uh, This episode is brought to you by our friends at Frame Warehouse. Visit framewarehouse.net. Frame Warehouse is locally owned here in Charlotte, and they have the guaranteed best price on every framing project. So check them out, framewarehouse.net. Okay, let's start with a weekend of basketball, a back-to-back that began with a Bulls loss on Friday that had some Hornets fans looking for life rafts and others doing (laughs) swan dives off the poop deck. And that was followed by a win at home to a listless Clippers team that seemed to settle most people down for now. As bad as it's gotten in Charlotte, David, I really didn't think they had a shot at losing to Chicago. I really didn't think that they had a shot at allowing over 120 points to Chicago. What did that game signal to you? Um, It signaled all of the alarms. (laughs) I mean, that's what we talked about before that game. If they were to go up there and lay an egg, which they did just by keeping the Bulls in that game. They never put them away. They never threatened to to stretch it out to larger than, you know, a small double-digit lead. And worse, they kept the crowd. I mean, that crowd wanted no part of that game, and the Hornets would not let them leave it. And, and as soon as the Bulls got super frisky there in the fourth, it turned into a jump shot contest, which is basically what it was the whole game. And uh, the Hornets came up one shot short. You know, Kemba could not finish off a spectacular night. But to me, I mean, that was just 
the Hornets were just disinterested for whatever reason, man. They went up there and led a Bulls team that had won two games all year, needed 47 points from Kemba just to be in the thing. And, uh, you know, concerning, it doesn't even, doesn't even do it justice, to be honest. I mean, you're going to have nights like that, and certainly the Bulls had to get a win, kind of like the Hornets had to get a win against the Clippers the next night. But that's just, that's just a bad, bad loss. Um, you, you can recover from it, but – after the week they'd had, it would have been nice for them to go up there and show who they really were. And hey, maybe they did for right now. Yeah, the Bulls rebuilding. They were not a great jump shooting team. So if if I had told you that the Hornets and the Bulls got engaged in some late game jump shooting contests, then you'd think that the Hornets yeah. were going to win that contest. But unfortunately, the Bulls were feeling it from beyond the arc. And uh, Kimball was feeling it too. 47 points, the most by a Hornet uh, on a road game. Set the franchise record for that. Uh, Nada, your thoughts on that Chicago loss? How bad was it? And are fans justified in, in some of the anger that you were seeing there on social media? They were justified. You don't lose to a two-win team. You don't need your all-star player to put in 47 for a tight game. If Kemba puts in 47, it, it, let's let's go back. If you put if you told me that Kemba had 47 against the Bulls, how many of y'all would have thought A, it would have been a five-point game and or B that it would, they would have lost? Because I I've, I'd have put them I'd have put the mortgage down that there is no way that they were gonna actually lose that game. But like David said earlier, it, this came down to intensity, this came down to effort. And it was amazing what happened because because we'll talk about it later. But I want to know what was said on the plane ride home from Chicago because there was there was two different teams. There was a team that cared on Saturday, Friday night. They didn't care at all. Yeah, and you saw Steve Clifford taking a lot of uh, blame on himself and uh, after that game, saying that you know that that kind of intensity that you were asking for there, Nada is is his responsibility to to instill that defensive philosophy that that you know the the sort of foundational notion that you have to try hard on defense, and that's up to Clifford. And there's a contingent of the fan base that is more than willing to accept that self criticism. Is that fair for Clifford in your mind to take a majority of the fault? No, because these guys have to play for pride, and they're also playing for contracts at some point. Now, granted, most of this team is locked up, but you have guys that play for pride. You see Kemba that wants to win. You see an MKG that wants to win. You see, and outside of that, sometimes you don't see it out of the rest of them. And I don't think it's on Coach Cliff to bring it out of 10 other guys. And if it is, then you pick the wrong guys, quite frankly. And it's more. it says more about the roster composition than it does the coach that's coaching these players. I thought there were yeah. I thought there were a few miscues though, David, and, and you and I have we, we talked about this after the game. The decision not to play uh, Michael Carter Williams his second straight uh, healthy scratch um, did not play coach's decision. Uh, instead, they opted to go with uh, ten minutes of Malik Monk, and Monk really struggled in this game with Chris Dunn's ball pressure. Uh, coughed it up a few times. Uh, only two attempts uh, because that defense was so intense, so focused on stopping Malik Monk when he was on the floor, and then defensively was not giving that second unit a lot of punch. 40 points allowed in that fourth quarter was devastating to to a Hornets team that shot finally shot the ball well from beyond the arc. 10 of 21 in this game. 47% from beyond the arc and 120 points. That should get it done for the Hornets and did not. I thought that Michael Carter-Williams, had he been 
in there in that fourth quarter could have made a significant difference for the Hornets. So I do think that a, that a little bit of the blame falls on Steve Clifford. But at the same time, I think equally, you've got guys like Dwight Howard who seem to sort of come in and out of being engaged in the basketball game. And that's just not that's not going to get it done for the Hornets. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about the difference between being the Bulls as Michael Carter-Williams, that's an issue uh, in and of itself. Like, I hear what you're saying. And le- I, we should talk about the Monk thing and the Michael Carter-Williams thing. Oh, we will. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. we have to. But, but, but I, I'm a fan of Clifford and coaches taking that blame on themselves, especially when they see a team who they probably think is a little bit fragile right now. I mean, I don't think that team you, – you're watching the end of that game and nothing was going right. I mean, nothing was going right for this team all the way down to the last possession for them on that Kimball Walker drive. That's just how the last two weeks have gone. And it came to a head in this game. I mean, had Michael Carter Williams played, maybe it makes a difference. But like I said, you can't let that team, you can't let that be the difference against a Bulls team that's won two games all year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Justin yeah. Holiday had more intensity by himself than the entire Hornets did for most of the night. Outside and of Kemba, showed. yeah. Yeah, yeah. outside of outside Kemba. Outside of Kemba, that, that was it. That yeah, was and look. Kemba had Kemba got beat a couple of times on D, but look, forty-seven points. He did what he needed to do. Um, oh, he got beat. He got beat. I'll, I'll say this: he yeah. got beat more than a few times. I, I don't think uh, Kemba certainly shares some of the blame defensively in that game. Uh, that's that's what the Bulls won this game because they were able to get easy drives to the rim that often well, turned in, and holiday. Yeah, that turned yeah. into kickouts. Yeah. Now, they, by the end of the game, they were feeling it, and I felt bad for Nick Batum, who I thought was playing really good defense at the end of the game, was really engaged and, and trying to close out on these guys. But uh, yeah. Denzel Valentine, who uh, Hoiberg uh, inserted into the lineup and gave him 32 minutes, uh, Paul Zipser, as we talked about in the preview, had been absolutely terrible up to that point. And so Zipser's out and Denzel Valentine is in. He was 7 of 15 from the field. I mean, look, they ran into a team in the Bulls that had a lot of young guys that were, you know, the Bulls are playing for pride. They don't want to lose. You know, they're going to lose, but they don't want to lose. And uh, they they saw an opportunity at home uh, to pick up a win, and they certainly had more than the Hornets did on that night. All right, much more to talk about. we got to get into this Clippers game, but first – uh, we this is Thanksgiving week, okay? Don't wait wait to the last minute on these Christmas gifts, people. If you want to get creative, maybe you want to get something framed, give it as a gift. This is the time of year to get something framed, whether it's a holiday gift, a home decoration, or something for your bonus room. Now is the time to get your framing done and get it done right with our friends at Frame Warehouse. We're proud to partner up with Frame Warehouse because they've been family-owned right here in the heart of Charlotte for over 35 years. They have the guaranteed best price on every framing project. At Frame Warehouse, you can frame almost anything for next to nothing. If you can think of it, you can get it framed. We're talking about sports memorabilia, maybe some posters for your office, maybe your kid's bedroom, jerseys, art. They'll even cube up that Frank Reich signed Panthers helmet you always tell people about, and I know... (laughs) I know you're telling people about it still. So the best part is that Frame Warehouse makes the whole process super easy. And I don't know about you, but I need easy. Frame Warehouse has framing experts that will walk you through the entire process and turn your project around quickly and for amazing price. For an amazing price. Uh, Frame Warehouse has been with us now for two seasons. They're the people that we trust with our projects. Don't let your prize possessions go undisplayed. Talk to our friends at Frame Warehouse at one of their six locations in Charlotte. Go to framewarehouse.net to find the one near you and tell them Locked On Hornets told you to drop by. And of course, give them a Go Hornets, Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. 
All right, let's move yes. on to the Hornets coming back home. They've played well at home, facing a Clippers team last night, or excuse me, on Saturday, that wasn't terribly deep to begin with, and they were seriously depleted by several injuries to their both their starting unit and their second unit. Despite a rough third quarter offensively, they found themselves once again with a lead heading into the fourth quarter. That's, that's been very familiar. What's also been familiar is them blowing that lead and losing games. They managed to close this one out, though. How did they finally shake off the fourth quarter demon, David? Well, again, I thought it came down to a little bit of execution down the stretch. But, I mean, I think the Clippers were the get-right game this team needed really bad. The, the Cavaliers were not was not that opponent. Uh, the Bulls really should have been that opponent. The Clippers are struggling themselves. But at this point, whatever it takes to get a win for this team, you saw Dwight at the end of that game literally raise his arms to the heavens and thank <laughs> you know, the basketball gods for a win to come down there. But um, I thought Michael Carter-Williams actually gave him uh, you know, a good stretch there. Monk did not play in this game. We alluded to that a little bit earlier. We'll, we'll hit on it later. Uh, but Kemba was special again and you know i thought who else and dwight i mean dwight 16 and 16 really played well uh bounced back after a tough go so this team locked in a little bit more on defense they held the clippers to what was that final score you said there doug i know you just said it 102 i didn't know no i didn't 102 102, 87 yeah 16 fourth quarter points that's it that's it right there they finally closed out a game 29 to 16 in that fourth quarter uh you know that's got to stay that's got to stay locked in like Clifford, I think that's another reason he said took a lot of the blame on himself. What else can he say to the to this group, to these guys at this point that he has not said? You know, so that uh, sunk in a little bit there. The Clippers, like I said, are struggling big time, uh, but the Hornets have to take that and, and run with it. They shut them down in the fourth quarter. Dwight Howard, sixteen points, sixteen boards, as David mentioned there, and and had a few clutch rebounds there at the end of the basketball game early on. He you know, got the, the offense that he wants to get in the post, uh, ran back and sealed off his man deep and, and got those touches from from the guards that he's been begging for. And it, it's a game that resembled some of the things that we saw from him early in the season. Nada, what was the difference? Why do you think he felt more comfortable in this game? And how is, how important is it to this Hornets team that Dwight Howard feel like that at the beginning of games? It's it's funny. We talked about this before the show it, uh, An engaged Dwight Howard a, a Charlotte Hornet team with an engaged Dwight Howard is almost unstoppable because then he gets engaged on defense. You give him a couple easy buckets. He'll again, he may miss four free throws to start the game, which he did t- today. And more importantly, though, he gets involved on defense. And then once he gets on involved on defense and he starts smiling, once he starts smiling, he's more willing to give the ball up. He's more willing to do the little things like run the floor to create easy buckets, which is what happened specifically in the second, again, second yeah. and third quarter of the game that with that. I mean, I, the one play that comes to me right there is the play with Nick Batum on the break. Perfect mm-hmm. bounce pass to Dwight Howard for the easy dunk. Stuff like that you didn't necessarily because see. Because he's running the floor. Exactly. He's engaged. He's not he's not worried about the referees. He did have that technical foul in the in the late in the fourth quarter that yeah, was, had they blown the game away. could have been you know, that's that's the thing yeah. about these narratives. You know, it's it's had the Hornets lost that game, you know, then all of a sudden that would have been a that would have been a huge story. But it's not because they you know, they were able to really lock in and and hold the Clippers to sixteen and I think 
really, I think, seven points after the 8.30 mark when the starters started to filter in. So they really uh, they, they really locked down again. The Clippers, I, I think, a depleted team, uh, a team that had lost seven in a row. The Hornets made it eight in a row. So, uh, you know, that's, that's not a – you would not call that a quality win, but when you've lost six in a row – Oh, I, I absolutely I, would. I you would. absolutely would. I, quite frankly, because the one thing I would say is the second unit, while they didn't score – that was the best I've seen the second unit play all year in terms of defensive performance. I mean, you had Michael Carter Williams defensive rating of ninety of ninety two. I'm sorry, Cody Zeller. Lou Williams was trying to. Lou Williams Man, was doing his best to try to destroy that. <laughs> At yeah, the end of the game, there MCW had some trouble. Yeah, we'll do that to a lot of people. That's though, true. But yeah, uh, you know, someone who's not feeling comfortable right now on either end of the floor is Frank Kaminsky in that second unit. Probably right. had. One of his uh, worst performances of the year at home versus the Cavs a few nights ago. And this one, he was one of nine from the field, 0 of 4 from beyond the arc, two points, four rebounds, one assist. In the past seven games, a.k.a. since that slide began, he's shooting 32.8% from the field, 25% from three, and averaging under four rebounds and under one assist. He Before then, he was doing a really good job of moving the basketball and finding shooters. How much harder on the second unit is it if Frank is not performing well on offense, Nada? It's impossible almost. It, I, I think it's it's nearly impossible. And I do think that if he's not scoring, I'm questioning what's he doing out there on the floor at times. Because if he's not scoring, he's he's liable for at least one or two lapses in defense where he's not out there He's not where he's supposed to be. There's constant miscommunications and he stresses out a defense because it, it allow it basically takes away your margin to defend the ball when he does that. And unfortunately, he's either got to lock in on defense and just say, I'm not going to worry about my shot. I'm just going to worry about defending as well as I can. Or you're going to have to start making shots because at some point, you're you're not going to be able to justify putting him out there anymore, David. Yeah, which, David, I, yeah. I don't I don't feel like I know what Frank Kaminsky is anymore uh, because I, he, I mean, yeah, he began the he began the season uh, playing well offensively inside, not shooting a lot of three pointers. Uh, he started to move. He started to move back out to the three point line where they need uh, on that second unit. He plays with guys like Cody Zeller, not a three point threat. Michael Carter Williams, not a three point threat. Dwayne Bacon, not somebody that you can take seriously from beyond the arc. Malik Monk, who hasn't been shooting the ball well from three. So they like they need him to shoot the ball well from three, and he's not doing it. And so and you know he's not a threat on defense. He's not a threat right. w- on the boards. So what is he? Yeah, no. I mean, to Nada's point, it makes it so difficult to play him out there or to have him out there, especially with the rest of that second unit, because you're not getting a lot of defense. You're getting some with Bacon, uh, but to the to the whole, I mean, that unit obviously has not been stopping many many teams. And so, if Frank is not adding to the mix by scoring, which he hasn't been specifically with his three point shot, you know, and just spreading the floor a little bit, it just makes it odd. It just makes it a tough fit for everyone out there. And Donata's point, I mean, it's almost impossible to get something going if he is not able to hit that long ball. And he just has not been able to do it consistently after the first five games. Played so much better uh, to start the season. And we thought he may be able to turn a corner a little bit, you know, make that pop that, that we had been looking for. But I don't know if it's confidence. I don't know if it's mindset. He doesn't look less confident to me. It's just the shots are not falling. The shots are going to be there. 
Uh, they, they have not gone away. He has just stopped making them with any consistency whatsoever. And he stopped taking advantage of when he gets a mismatch. Uh, maybe they're coming less frequently now uh, in this playing group, but he's stopped punishing guys you know, as much as he can down low. Um, he's, he's getting his shot blocked a little bit more as he did the other night. So he's struggling right now. Um, and that second unit, as we've talked about it, they, they need all the help they can get. I don't think they're ever going to be a lockdown unit. So if they're not able to put up some points to either cut into a lead or keep a lead for the starters, then that's going to continue to be a problem. All right, one of the big stories from this game were the lack of minutes for rookie Malik Monk. The first round the first round draft pick was a healthy scratch in this one. His minutes instead being given to Michael Carter-Williams, who had not played in the previous two games, and a two-fellow rookie, Dwayne Bacon. When asked about it after the game, Steve Clifford said, quote, you lose six in a row, the defense has been bad, and that's not Malik's fault, it's just that's his position. Unquote. Clifford would go on to, to describe Michael Carter-Williams as a difference maker on defense, someone that can get ball pressure, and said that he fits what they need right now. Uh, David, we'll start with you. Are you okay with that decision by Coach Clifford? Well, that's kind of what we thought it would be to start the season, right, guys? I mean, where was Monk going to play? They weren't going to force him in at point guard had everyone been healthy. There was going to be a log jam on the wing. He wasn't going to start. Um, so there was always going to be a little bit of battle for minutes. And if you watch these games, if you watch the last two weeks, if you watch that second unit, you know, be just utterly, you know, not be able to do anything, um, you had to try something. And I think Clifford was trying something the other night when he didn't play Michael Carter Williams at all. And I think he was trying something else, you know, probably to a little more success when he didn't play Malik Monk at all. I mean, there's going to be some DMPs for him. He's a rookie. He's a 19 year old rookie. And there's going to be some nights when he goes off and gets hot really fast and Clifford leans on him a little bit more. That's just how I think his season is, is going to play out. And when this team's struggling, yeah, you're going to try whatever you have at your disposal. And now the Clifford's got some healthy guys back, especially a point guard, especially a, a guy with longer arms with some length and with some experience. Uh, he's going to throw him out there. So you have to be okay with it. And it, it got you a win. Now we'll see what happens going on down the road, but, yeah, he's got to try whatever he can. Uh, right I think there are some fans that are definitely not will would not be okay with Malik Monk seeing reduced minutes or a reduced role in this team. And I and I think it's fair to say Malik Monk, who uh, came into this season wanting to be Rookie of the Year, was very confident uh, in his ability, and I don't think that he would be satisfied with that either. Uh, I. Nada, I want to ask you about Steve Clifford's justification. Again, he said that uh, you know you lose six in a row, the defense has been bad, and that's not Malik's fault. It's just that's his position, and, and th- that's his position is the part I want to ask you about because coming into this season, we had had some hints that you know Steve Clifford was was interested in seeing Malik Monk play a little bit of point guard. And then you got into training camp and a few games into the season and Steve Clifford was talking about Malik Monk. Basically, he had to transition to point guard if he was going to be, in Clifford's opinion, if he was going to be successful long term in the NBA. And now all of a sudden he loses minutes because Michael Carter Williams is in, quote, his position. So what do you think about that? Honestly, I think he was... uh this is the one time I really do disagree with coach cliff. I don't think he's a point guard. I don't think Malik is a point guard in the slightest. He's a two guard. He works better off the ball. We've seen it, especially when he works with Kemba. If he has a guy that knows his spots and knows where Malik's most effective, then Malik scores. 
But if you expect him to show up, run the offense, be that be that point guard, then it's not going to work. And I understand that for the most part, he was thrust into that position because of injury. I just don't think I don't see Malik Monk as a as a point guard yet. And combo guard, though, right? That's combo guard. Absolutely. Yeah. CJ McCollum type CJ McCollum, Lou Williams type. Crawford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone along the lines of that. I completely understand and see that in him. But at the same time, I don't see him as a point guard. And as Clifford will even tell you, point guard is the hardest thing to learn. And especially for a guy who relies so much on his point guard, whose system relies so much on the point guard that I think that was too much too soon for Malik Monk. And granted, again, injury had a lot to do with it. But the, but the big issue with playing him, and I think this sort of gets to the heart of the issue and and what will make things difficult for Coach Clifford in the future, is that I agree with you, Nada, that the point guard position overwhelms Monk at times. And, and you saw it in the Chicago game, the, the ball pressure that Chris Dunn put on Malik Monk. Uh, was was difficult for Monk to handle. Uh, but Monk also struggles to put ball pressure on other guards, but he doesn't have the size to guard the two. And, you know, if you if you put him out beside Michael Carter-Williams uh, against the Clippers, who guards who in that scenario? That's I think that's why he went with Dwayne Bacon for 12 minutes in this game. And, and Bacon also gives you a little bit of a, a rebounding punch as well. And with Malik Monk's offense uh, being a little scattershot, <clears throat> excuse me, a little scattershot, uh, again, it's just sort of the Frank Kaminsky situation where if if these offensive only pieces are not playing offense well, then suddenly the justification for playing them becomes very difficult because of the the negatives that happen on the defensive end. And, and I'm just I'm not sure I'm not sure that this staff really trusts. Malik Monk defensively enough to play him at the two so it's like okay we can't play him at the two got to play him at the one but then the the defense still falls apart with him at the one it's 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 a very tough decision right now I get I honestly get that point but the I guess you can make it work a lot easier with a guy like Malik Monk than you can if you're big and I guess it goes back to the Frank Kamensky thing it's a lot easier to work with a guard that's got bad ball on ball defense as long as he's a decent team defender. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to do it when you have a four that constantly blows spots and blows defensive assignments. Yeah. It's a lot it's a lot easier to scheme around that. And I get why you can't have two of those guys, especially when you also are relying on Jeremy Lamb to do it at the same time. And Jeremy Lamb is not the most defensively aware guy either. So you again, you have a lot of issues in terms of second unit defense. And unfortunately for Monk, he's the odd man out. But at the same time, I don't blame him, especially when you consider the defensive intensity Saturday night. Saturday night kind of ended that debate for me as far as Monk's minutes. Well, yeah, David, we'll we'll end this uh, particular conversation right here, which is uh, he was the odd man out on Saturday against the Clippers. Will he continue to be the odd man out or how do you see this situation progressing for the Hornets? I think he's still going to get his shots here and there. Like I said, I think we'll have some DMPs along the way, but he's a skilled scorer already, and we've seen that in spurts. And he's had nights where he's gotten hot really quick and and been that guy that's kind of turned a corner or turned a quarter, you know, and won a game for this team at times. So I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to be completely shut out. 
And I think Clifford, I mean, you asked me, Doug, over the weekend, we were texting back and forth, like, why didn't MCW play at all in Chicago? Why did he go with Monk so much? I mean, I think, honestly, Clifford was just trying to maybe see what he could get out of Monk. I think he's thinking, like, if he can get, not to get too much in his brain here, but to me, if you can get Monk to be able to captain the ship even a little bit, be passable at point guard for that second unit, his ceiling and thus that unit ceiling is going to be higher than it would be with a Michael Carter Williams in my mind, because Monk already has an elite scoring ability. Uh, I think it's far surpassed whatever uh, Michael Carter Williams would ever give you, but he's just struggling a lot with other facets of the game right now. To Nada's point, it was a lot really soon to ask him to come in there and play point. Um, it was, it was a big rush for him to do that. Um, but I think, yeah, he's still going to get his shots. Um, it, it's, you know, first of all, injuries are still going to happen. You saw uh, Jeremy Lamb go out with a hamstring uh, just last night or just on Saturday night. I think so. so those spots yeah, are continue to open. Yeah, I think so much of this hinges on it, whether you whether you agree with Clifford's decision or not hinges on the fact of whether you agree that Malik Monk has to be a point guard or can play the two because you've you've got Michael Carter Williams who gives you. Uh, very little on offense and a lot on defense. And you have Malik Monk who gives you a lot on offense, but very little on defense. And right now, in Clifford's estimation, the Hornets, and I think this is bared out in the last few games, they they very much need defense. And so opting to go with yep. MCW there. So we'll see. I, I think you're right, though, David. I think he will have opportunities to play maybe as soon as tonight against uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves because – you know, they run a lot of minutes for Jeff Teague at the point, and then they go to Tyus Jones, 6'2", small right. guard, uh, not very not, not very adept, good driver, though, so you still have to be aware. Uh, but, and, you know, so much of this is on the league's team defense as well. It's not just about those one-on-one opportunities. We saw him blow that assignment against Christos Porzingis that you could argue mm-hmm. cost them that game against, uh, against New York. So there are a lot of issues there, but... Let's talk briefly about this game tonight. Uh, Hornets facing a much tougher test than they did against Los Angeles uh, in the Minnesota Timberwolves tip-off at 7 o'clock p.m. The Wolves will be on the second night of a traveling back-to-back. We're taping this prior to their game in Detroit, but they've won their past three games to go to 10-5, and five, matching their best start in franchise history. The Hornets got hammered by the Wolves back on November 5th, won 12-94. In Didn't that start the losing streak though i think that was that was the one it was san antonio first and then minnesota yeah but but that was a but san antonio was close minnesota not close uh jeff t going off in the second quarter and uh the minnesota timberwolves never looking back david what's the key for you for the hornets to enact some revenge here at home where the hornets have played a lot better yeah, the more we see out of this team, the more you realize like Kimball Walker's almost got to do it every night. Um, and there's not going to be a lot of games where Kimball Walker scores 13 to 15 yeah. and they win. Exactly. Um, so you're obviously going to need it from him, but like I think they've got to get some of these other guys going a little bit. I mean, Batum um, has been good since he's been back. He's got to continue to be solid. I would hope Dwight, you know, he struggled, I believe. What was, what was, how did he do? Uh, that's just a tough matchup. For him. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think back to that night. Um, but you mentioned how well he played against a guy like DeAndre Jordan. I, I started to wonder if that's a comfort level in and of itself for Dwight when he sees a, a similar guy to himself on the other side, which is not the case in Carl Anthony Towns. So, I mean, that's a tough matchup for any of the Hornets out there. But look, the Hornets, 
more and more it's becoming about what they do. Now they blew, they got blown out by the Timberwolves in this last game, and it was it was not a contest. It was the first dud of the season. So I would hope there'd be some pride coming into play, but also they need to get wins. Um, and this is still, you know, a relatively young team coming into their house on the second night of a back-to-back. Um, I'd look for the Charlotte Hornets to, to respond. I mean, take a little pride in, in what's going on here, respond to that first game, and maybe try to turn this thing around. So they've got to continue to play that good defense the, that they played the other night. That's what it all comes down to. I mean, every night. Clipper says it over and over again, and so do we. But, but I mean, it's true. They're not good enough to outscore people on every night with playing no defense. Dwight Howard uh, had 13 uh, points in this one and uh, nine rebounds, but it seems more and more that he has to have 15 if the Hornets have a shot (laughs) at winning basketball games. I mean, he has to have uh, just a huge rebounding nights, low turnover nights, and get engaged early offensively. Carl Anthony Towns finished that game with 16-9. and Yeah, really, it was all about Jeff Teague. I mean, 18 points, 7 of 15 shooting, 4 of 5 from beyond the arc, and I think all four of those coming in the second quarter. And once they got that lead, uh, the, the, you know, the Hornets just couldn't do anything. Uh, Nada, yeah. what's your key? Honestly, the big thing that I think we forget is there was no Michael Kidd-Gilchrist in that game. And I think Very that true. takes no, no Kidd-Gilchrist and, more importantly, no Batum. I think that mm-hmm. changes this a little bit because then you can find a way to hide Kemba Walker, and that way you put, again, MKG. Yeah, Wiggins had 20 in this one. Yeah, exactly. I think you can slow the wings down in this game. I do think you can slow the wings down with with Batum and Michael K. Gilchrist in this game. I do think that Dwight needs to be involved early and often, and more Michael Carter-Williams in the defense that he does provide. And I do think that the offense for Michael Carter-Williams is going to come – Sooner than we than we expect, I think he he'll continue to be solid, and I think if Jeremy Lamb doesn't play, that's where I might start to get worried. But this is also a spot where if you we put if you see a Malik Monk out there, I could see him doing damage against that second unit in a, with a small backcourt. Yeah, uh, Lamb had a hamstring issue in that game against the Clippers. He, right now, he's probable to play, so uh, we'll get an update uh, at shoot-around on Monday. I think the one thing to know about the Timberwolves is that it really only takes them one quarter, one player for the Wolves to make a comeback or pull ahead. I, I think it's cliche to say that you have to stay locked in for 48 minutes, but this Wolves team has that uh, that certain je ne sais pas, that quality where they can lay back and just sort of wait to strike. And and a lot of that is because they just have some they have some freaks on offense and Carl Anthony Towns and an Andrew Wiggins. And then they have this guy in Jimmy Butler who's not really caring about his offense and just completely locking in on the defensive end. Uh, so I think it's going to be a real struggle for Nick Batum to get anything going offensively in this game. Uh, so I think anything he gives you uh, uh, in this game is, is going to be icing on the cake. But if you can, the thing though to know about this Wolves team is that if you beat back that strike, you have a chance at blowing them out because they are still young and they go through these periods where they decide if their offense isn't going, their defense completely lapses as well. They're of not their, a good defensive team at all. Yeah, no, of, the, of their five losses, four of them have been absolute quarter, you know, wire to wire blowouts against Indiana, Detroit, Golden State, and Phoenix. Phoenix blew them out. So they, there's that potential if the Hornets. Can can take what they did in Los Angeles. Basically, if they can uh, replicate the starters, that is, if they can replicate what they did at the end of that first, fourth quarter, early in this game, 
then I think the Hornets have a great shot at beating uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. You, you know what one concern is with, with Lambie? And now, if you remember back to that game, now it was a blowout, so everybody looked good. But the wings of the Wolves, I mean, you went through Wiggins down to like Crawford, Shabazz Muhammad, even Aaron Brooks got in there at the end. I mean, they just kept coming in waves at the Hornets. And look, it was a knockout blow, but like there was a lot of depth that the Hornets could not match there. Um, so this second unit, of course, is going to be challenged again. But without Lamb, that takes you down a notch, especially on the wings for a guy that's been playing well. And you guys mentioned the the Wolves' struggles on defense. The Hornets have got to be able to kind of counter some of that offense as long as the Wolves keep coming. And it's going to be about rebounding as well. They were out-rebounded in this game, 54-40. to They allowed 12 offensive rebounds uh, from uh, for the Timberwolves. Uh, Gorgie Jang had four. Carl Anthony Towns had two. Taj Gibson had three. So keeping them off the offensive boards. Definitely. That's not even a strength for the Wolves, you know? I mean, that's no. It's not. Yeah. No. So yeah, that's that's definitely that definitely has to be a focus uh, for the Charlotte Hornets as well. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, where we will be live tweeting the game. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just Search Locked on Hornets. And thanks again to our sponsor, Frame Warehouse. Visit framewarehouse.net for your next framing project. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at lockedonhornets.com. Always love to hear from you. Try to get back to everyone that emails in. We're back again uh, tomorrow with a recap. We're back on YouTube Live tomorrow with a recap of this game. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. And Nada. Thanks, Nada. Go America. No problem. Let's swarm. Sure. Sure.